Welcome to the Gaining Control Podcast. At the young age of five, I found myself in the front row of an old country church watching the funeral service of my grandfather. All I could remember from that day was my mother's loud cry, my grandfather's still body in the casket, and the groundkeepers lowering my grandfather's body one crank after another. I was left in total confusion as to why this day has become the event I remember the most of my grandfather. As years passed, I finally understood that my grandfather's death inspired me to encourage others. I started to see death in a whole new way. I began to see the people right in front of me that was living but actually dying. I saw people dying to their decisions, problems, pain, poor habits, and much more. I asked myself, how can I help? What do others need? What's the best way to connect with others and learn their story? And how can I share impactful tips and information to transform other lives? The Gaining Control Podcast was created because I truly believe that you can gain control of your life and live your best life. I'm looking forward to the journey we're about to embark on. I believe this is the time for you to start gaining control. Welcome to the Gaining Control Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Corley, and today we have a special interview. Um, I get the opportunity to interview someone that has put a tremendous impact on my career as a not only a journalist, but a podcaster early when I was in college. Um, his name is Michael Carnes, and he's a Wrestling USA Magazine National Sports Writer of the Year recipient, a member of the National Scholistic Wrestling Coaches Association Hall of Fame, to say the least of his accomplishment. Mike has been a journalist for more than 30 years in the state of Nebraska, and now he owns and operates Mikey C Productions, an independent media hub in Northeast Nebraska. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Michael Carnes. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate the uh, the invitation to come here and talk oh, to you I today. I super appreciate it as well. Um, it's it's tremendous to actually have you on this side of uh, journalism. Um, I'm used to uh, to you chewing me out more so than uh, than anything. So <laughs> it's it's pretty good for me to actually have an opportunity to interview somebody that has had a huge impact on me. Uh, and so I'm I'm super excited to have you, Mike. Thank you for joining me. Well, thanks. And I'll tell you what, Travis, I was just thinking about this the other day. I've, uh, I've had a lot of, uh, uh, young people that, that I've, uh, had the opportunity to, to mentor in, uh, in the newspaper business through, you know, through, uh, uh, the internships that, uh, that, uh, college kids do to, uh, kind of give them a, a real world idea of what, what the, what the media business is about. And, and it's kind of funny because you're, you're the only one that has, has, has gone, uh, outside of the uh, traditional newspaper, uh, you know the the writing of uh, columns and, and articles and done something like this and and uh, when when uh, I first saw saw your uh, listen to your podcast and and uh, talked to you about it I thought this is this is really uh, kind of a unique uh, situation and I'm I was really really excited to see that you've uh, you've taken this approach and and uh, you're obviously doing a lot of great things for people and that's that's uh, that's really uh, you know, makes me proud as as uh, as somebody who's who was a mentor for you years ago to see that you're see what you're doing with your life and how you're impacting people in such a positive way. 
Oh, no, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, one thing that I could truly, I remember what was so impactful about the time that we we spent together when I was your intern in Wayne, Nebraska. Um, I remember when you shared with me your life story and um, it took me by storm. Um, but it also was a humbling experience for me because it lets me know not only that you was mentoring me as a journalist, but you was mentoring me as a man as well. And for those of you who aren't aware, the month of April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And this is a very sensitive topic. And I wanted to use my platform to help bring healing, restoration, and create an opportunity for those who have been a victim of such a horrific crime to share their story in hopes to educate, inspire, and heal others. So in 2014, Mike actually published a book called Call Me a Survivor. It's an amazing artwork. And so, Mike, I just want you to explain uh, to my audience uh, what Call Me a Survivor is all about. Well, uh, the the book is uh, basically a story of my uh, my life as a survivor of sexual assault. And I I pretty much, you know, tell it from, you know, from beginning to, to uh, when the book was published at the time and uh, talk about how my life had been, it, it was a, you know, pretty normal mid Midwestern, you know, life with, you know, mom and dad and, and a little, little sister and, you know, your, your norm, what was at the time your normal family anyway. And then how, how it, uh, how the, everything changed the night that I was sexually assaulted. And I was, you know, a lot of people like to think that something like this happens in the big city or it happens you know anywhere but in a small town environment and i was i was attacked in a town of 800 people um i, I was uh, attacked by the uh, the older brother of a classmate and uh and it was although you know it was just a one-time event it's something that uh, has has continued to uh you know uh impact my life and and uh, not always in a good way uh i, I went through a lot of a lot of uh, self-doubt and, and a lot of negative self-esteem and committed uh, attempted suicide on several occasions and uh, you know lived uh, for a long time with that negative uh, persona of being a victim of sexual assault and uh, the uh, uh, around about 2000 I don't know, I think it was 11 2012 uh, Penn State University had their their uh, their big deal about uh, uh, Jerry Sandusky uh, sexually assaulting boys in the in the locker room in the football complex and and all that and and it reopened some wounds in me and uh, about nine months later I was visiting a friend in Colorado and I had been awakened in the middle of the night by a voice and the voice said write the book and that was all it said and and you know immediately I knew what it, what what that voice was telling me to do. Because I, uh, I had been thinking for some time, I need to do something uh, to help people and to help people understand what sexual violence is all about. But I just, you know, you would think as being a writer that this, that the answer would be easy, just write a book. But it didn't come to me like that. And so when I hear this voice, I, you know, got up in the middle of the night and uh, started banging away on my laptop computer, and and uh, and that was the start of it. And and within about six months, I'd writ written this book and. Uh, uh, and it's, you know, ever since then, I've been been speaking publicly about it and writing more about it and being being an advocate uh, for survivors of sexual assault. And it's really, it's really a, a something that, it, you know, I've taken a bad situation and tried to make some good out of it. And, um, and I hope that I can conti continue to do that. Oh, no, it's, it's super awesome to not only see you um, come forward with your story, 
um, to help others. But um, even for a man, um, this is something that's not talked about um, mm-hmm. as a man. Um, we usually hear about sexual assault stories that happen to women. And so it's uh, very, very different for a man to come forward. And so I'm grateful that you came forward um, about your story because I know for sure a lot of men have dealt with this. And because of the, the stigma that's around men, we typically don't talk about such stories um, yeah. like this. So it's very, very amazing to see you come forward with your story and to be active as you is. And so like like we know of uh, sexual assault, there's a lot of trauma that comes with this. And so I know reading your book and, and it captivated me as well. I, I noticed something that after the initial uh, sexual assault, the community turned on you. And mm-hmm. so I want you to explain to to the listeners what was that experience like? Well, for for me, um, I experienced it probably this. Well, it was the first day I went back to school after the incident. The incident, as I seem to remember, the incident happened on Monday. And uh, I wasn't in school for a day or two after because of the, the immediate trauma, and um, and I had had to go go see a doctor, and and we had to um, talk to to the uh, authorities about the incident because they had to file a, a, a crime report. But I remember the first day that I went back, the first thing that happened to me was the, um, a bunch of kids uh, in the class that was above me, uh, ahead of me, um, the 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 uh, younger the younger um, brother had a brother that was in between him and the one who assaulted me and so he and and some of his buddies come up to me and just start just immediately just you know they're they're taller they're bigger and taller than me they're and they're you know they're in my face they're you're yelling at me you know you know how how'd you let somebody do that to you or are you are you a are you a faggot you know that's i mean that's what they call it call me um not and that's a word i don't like using but you know they're just calling me all these names and I have no idea what, you know, how to, how to deal with this. And so it's, it's just a trauma on top of a trauma. And then my uh, family, uh, we had, we had moved there, probably, we'd been there probably about a year. And, um, and my family had developed some, some, uh, some really nice friendships with people and some people in the community. And it just seemed like once that happened, uh, we found out who our real friends were. And there was probably about two or three families in, in that town that, that we could, uh, you know, we could, we could come, you know, talk to and, and be seen with in public and things like that, which was, you know, which I thought was really strange, you know, here, here I'm the one, you know, that was the, the uh, one that was uh, attacked, the one, the one that was violated and, and, you know, you know the, the P and, and it's not like the, the, the kid involved was, was, uh, you know, a member of the family that was a mover and a shaker in the town, you know, how, how in small towns you have people who they claim, you know, they say these people run the town. They're, you know, they're the people who are, you know, like the bank president or the, uh, you know, some, somebody who's got a ton of farmland around the community or, you know, things like that. People who have some kind of an influence. These, these weren't people who were influential in the community by any means, but yet um, the community stood behind this family and, um, and, you know, tried to tell, tell us that it never happened or you're overdoing it or boys will be boys or whatever. And so it was just, it was really a traumatic uh, experience. And really it, it, uh, I think in a lot of ways it, it kind of shaped how I, uh, how I am with, with the people that I consider, uh, my friends. I have a very, very, uh, small group of people that, that, you know, if worst comes to worst, push comes to shove, if I really, really need somebody, I've got a, I've got a group of, of maybe, maybe 10 people that I could call, you know, or there's a lot of people like they could call just about anybody. 
Um, and you know, really outside of my family and that, and that, that small circle of friends, those are the only people that I've got. And that was, um, that was a result of, of this, uh, of this incident. And, it, and, you know, a lot, there are a lot of people out there who are, uh, survivors like myself who have been assaulted multiple times and, and had, have been, you know, had to live with, uh, the person that assaults them. And, you know, my situation was a one-time event and, and for a lot of years, I just thought, well, you know, my, I, it just happened to me one time. I, you know, I should be able to get over this thing, but it's, uh, it's, it's an, uh, it's something that, that no matter how, how much you try to put it in your past or how, how much you try to walk away from it or what, how many drugs or how much booze you drink to, to uh, try to deaden the pain, everything it it's, it's with you. It's a, it's a permanent scar on your soul is what it is. Right. Right. And that's, that's the, I think that's one of the, the hardest parts about sexual assault is um, we have so many people that have dealt with this. Um, this is not like, it's um, like a disease where, you know, there's a certain number of people. Um, I remember reading a statistic once that said one out of every two people have been sexually assaulted. And I thought about that for a moment. And so I, I became interested and I started asking those that was closest to me that I can ask a personal question. And that statistic mm. came true. And I remember asking about between 20 to 30 people that I knew. Um, it was majority women because I knew that it was a it, it was a huge thing that was happening to women. And I was very shocked to see how many women actually admitted that something um, sexual um, has happened to them as an assault. And that took me by storm. And ever since I had those conversations, I've always been... Um, able to not only um empower people um through that through through what i just understood about what happens to people but i always had my heart open um for people that dealt with such horrific crimes because i understood that it does damage you um for the most part of your life and i know a lot of people never rebound to cope with that and so i wanted to ask you for anybody that's listening that have dealt with this and that didn't share their story or scared to share their story or never came forward to their family what would be the best advice that you well, would give them the First thing I would tell people is that is to tell to make sure they understand that this is not about it's not about them. It it is in the way that they you know that they have been violated, but they are not the problem. And a lot of a lot of uh, people who have been sexually assaulted think that uh, they they either think it or they are led to believe or they're being or they are forced to believe that uh, it was their fault. And it never is. It is it is never about um, about you know whether you had something to do with this. Even, you know, there, there's a lot of people that, uh, that will say, well, you know, she dresses provocatively or, uh, she was, she was, uh, you know, saying this or doing that. You know, there's all these reasons that people want to give for, for why the, the, uh, uh, the victim, uh, became the victim. And that there was something that had to do with her or, or him. And, you know, the fact of the matter is it, it this is a power play and, and it's a power play on the part of the, attacker to try to try to to uh, put themselves over somebody and dominate them and intimidate them and once once you realize that that it is not about what you did or or not about what who you are then it becomes it's it's i mean you still have to deal with it but at least you have an understanding of of what you're dealing with and if you if you haven't told anybody about it yet find somebody that, that you can trust that you can, that you can tell this to, um, 
you know, I was, I was very, very lucky, Travis. I had, um, I had parents who were, who were very, very much in tune with their kids and, and love their, love their children very much. And, um, you know, the, the, the night that it happened, um, my, my mom had actually, I'd been attacked behind the swimming pool in this town. My mom had driven on the street by the pool. She was literally 15 yards away from, from me and didn't notice, know that I was there when she drove by. And when she found, found out what, you know, where it ha- had happened and everything, she was just, just, just uh, crushed. Cause you know, she was that close and, and didn't realize it. And then when my dad, my dad worked nights at the time and he was called uh, by the local police until they needed to come home that his son had been hurt. And I asked my dad when I, when I researched uh, for this book, I said, what did you, what did you think on the way home? What he says, he said, I could, I could have made a thousand guesses and never guessed this. He said, I, he, I was thinking you fell out of a tree, you fell off your bike, you, you know, you broke your arm doing something, you know, they didn't say what had happened. They just said something had happened. And when he, when he got home, I, he was so, so overcome with emotion and, and, uh, uh, and I've, I've never, I've seen my dad really mad on maybe two or three occasions in my life. And on this one occasion, he was so mad. He, he wanted to, he, he wanted to kill the guy. He wanted to kill the guy. And he called my grandpa for you know, to tell him what had happened. And he said, had said something, I'm going to go find this kid and kill him. And my grandpa said, said, you'll do your son no good in prison if you do that. And it was probably the, probably the one thing that kept, kept my dad from, from acting out on that. But, you know, I was able to talk to them about it. And um, I know not a lot of people, there are a lot of people out there who can't talk to a family member, partially because it's the family member who's, who's the attacker. But, uh, but you need to go out and find somebody you know, find, find, uh, you know, a close friend, a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, some, a fellow worker, you know, any, anybody you're closely connected to that you feel that you can trust to, to talk to about, about this situation and not, not, uh, feel like you're being judged or, or that, you know, somebody's gonna, gonna, you know, spread, spread the rumor that, you know, this happened and, you know, somebody, somebody that you can talk to, you can trust that, that will, you know, that will be there for you when you need, when you need somebody to talk to, cause you're going to need somebody to talk to. I'm, you know, this has hap- happened to me, what, 40, almost 45 years ago. And, and I still, I still find myself time to time. I need, I need to talk to somebody and, and just, just vent. And, uh, you know, as long as, as long as you have somebody like that, it's, it becomes a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, that's man, and it's it sucks because it sucks to know that inside of a, a world where um, there's so many people um, that they're they prey on not only younger people but they mm-hmm. prey on people that they know they can overpower um, to take advantage of them in such a way. And I knew by reading your book and just going through the story and then knowing you personally, and I remember the first time you shared the story with me, and. Ever since that day, it always been a thought to me. Did Mike ever attempt to commit suicide to get away from just the trauma mentally of what this have done to you? And after reading it in your story, I was shocked to to read it because I knew that if you would have did that, um, I would never had the opportunity to meet you. And and so therefore, I wanted to ask you, because I know that was a lonely part of your life for many years. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, what do you think kept you here on earth? Well, uh, uh, the easy answer is God, because uh, um, everything that has happened 
um, since that since that suicide attempt. Um, you know, there 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 are things that I've experienced in my life in the last what's well, been uh, 13, 14 years since I made that attempt, and um, there are so many things that that would have never happened. Inter, inter, you know, meeting you and working with you, uh, obviously one of them. Uh, I wouldn't have got to see my my daughters graduate from high school. I wouldn't have gotten to see my uh, my oldest daughter get married and and uh, uh, bring me a, a, a beautiful granddaughter. Um, I wouldn't be here in Wayne, Nebraska today doing doing what I've been doing for the last last decade or so. I mean, there's so so many things that wouldn't have happened, or maybe they would have happened. I just wouldn't be here for it. Uh, but uh, you know, I in that in that in that darkest moment, I I. You know, literally had no, I had nothing left. I had nothing left to offer. I felt, I had felt like I had failed, you know, I'd failed marriage. Uh, I'd failed in my, I failed as a, felt like I had failed as a father. I failed as a businessman. I was failing as a journalist. I was failing about the only thing I could, I could do was uh, go to the bathroom and play poker. That was really the only, about the only two things that I could successfully uh, accomplish on a day-to-day basis. At least that's what I felt at that time. And so I just felt like I wasn't, wasn't worth it anymore. And you know, I, I uh, went went to the uh, uh, edge of a, of a river uh, here in, in Nebraska that uh, there had actually been uh, three or four a- accidental drownings in, along this river during the previous month. We had had just kind of this weird situation where people were going boating on the river and, and then somebody fell overboard and died and drowned. And so I, you know, I had uh, thought, well, maybe I just need to add to that statistic. And, and, and I was going to I was just going to basically jump in the river and, and just let, let the current just take me to my final destination. And, uh, and I, I, as I was standing there watching the water, I heard, heard, I heard a voice tell me that, you know, what, how, how is this going to be explained to your daughter? How's how, you know, who's going to explain this to her? Cause nobody knew, knew how bad I, I was emotionally at that point. I mean, you know, my, my fam- my parents, you know, knew that, that something wasn't right, but, um, but nobody really knew how how bad this had had uh, taken over my life and how how much it had uh, uh, made me feel like a you know like a second class human being, uh, and and I and it really when I look back on it now I really never had a, a really good reason to to uh, think that of myself, but but I did and and I just felt the only way to to take care of it was just to take myself out of the out of the gene pool and and uh, and just end it all and and. But then that, that voice told me, you know, somebody's going to have to explain this to her. What, what are they going to say? And, and I thought about it and I thought, you know what? Nobody, nobody knows how, the pain I'm hit, feeling right now. And, and I thought maybe, maybe I need to talk to somebody about this. And so I, I walked away from that that night. And uh, um, next day, my, I, uh, my dad had to go on a, go uh, uh, pick up some stuff in another town. So I, went down and spent the day with him. We did a lot of talking that day. And, and I think, you know, that, that helped me out. I know it helped him out. Um, and, you know, it took, it took some time for me, for me to really get out of that hole and, and get, get my state of mind on the right, right path where, where I'm, you know, trying to, th- trying to think of myself in a positive light rather than a negative one and, and trying to, trying to do some things to, to make myself a better human being. Right, right, right. And so I, w- I want to take a shift right now. It was a particular part of the book that really caught me. And, and it was the part where your mother, she was working at, she was at work and her boss um, was 
was talking about the the young man that sexually assaulted you and your mother ran into an incident with this lady. And I wanted you to talk about that because I felt like that was a pivotal uh, moment, um, not only in your life, but I felt like it was a pivotal moment as your family navigated what had happened to you when you was a little boy. It was kind of funny. It happened in a post office in, in that town. And this, this lady uh, is the mother of the, of the kid that was, um, that had attacked me. And my mom's not a big, big woman. She's, she's five foot foot tall. And I think you have to put uh, six inch heels on her to get her that, that high. Um, she's, she's not a, not a big girl by any imagination. And this lady was, and this lady uh, basically came up to my mom and, and started, started uh, yelling at her for, for, uh, for what um, she had in her, in her mind, for what my mom had done to her son. And my mom basically, you know, just bounced back and said, what do you mean? What your kid, did, what I did to your kid? What, what about what your kid did to my kid? And, and they had this, they had this shouting match right there in the middle of the post office. And, and I'm sitting here watch, watching this going, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, I've <laughs> never seen, never seen my mom that, that fired up about, about anything in, in my life uh, before or since. But uh, that that really kind of hit hit home uh, for for me and, and I think for the family of where you know of where we stood as far as how how uh, a community reacts to something like this um, and it was just a just a really really tough moment to to see my mom put in that position but but uh, she was uh, she was a, a trooper in that and I was I was really really proud of her. Right. And, and that's that's my mother, too. My mother would have been the same way. She was like that whenever I got in trouble. So it's always amazing. I have a mother that has your back. Um, it's something yeah. about a mother's love, especially to a son um, that you it's just hard to explain. Uh, and so I wanted I wanted to also highlight um, I there became years later after the initial assault happened. Um, and you saw an opportunity to not only speak up, but you saw opportunity to help somebody else that was going through a similar incident with the same young man and you was able to speak up and get him the maximum sentence um, at that time for the same crime. And so I want you to talk about what was that experience like for you? Well, this was about 20 years after, after what had happened to me, I had, uh, uh, I've been in the newspaper business now for, for uh, 30 35 years or so, I guess uh, it's been a little more than 35 years, but this was probably, I was probably about uh, 10 years into my career and I was working at uh, the Norfolk daily news in uh, Norfolk, Nebraska. It's a town of about uh, 25,000 people. And I had, uh, I had, when I had started out in college, my, my goal was to be at a daily newspaper within 10 years. I'd, I'd wanted to work in the small town papers to kind of get, get some good, good experience, good journalism experience opportunities. And then I wanted to move up to a daily paper and I got that opportunity and I'd been there for about a year and, uh, or yeah, I'd been for about a year or so. And at the time we were transitioning from the old way of laying out a newspaper, which was, it's called cut and paste where you basically, you know, cut out your, your, uh, copy and your photos and you paste them on a page. And we were moving from that to what people now know is, as, uh, you know, the electronic medium uh, of uh, laying out a newspaper where you do it on, on, uh, on the computer. And one day I was, I was going, I went to the back to check on a page that I had sent back uh, to make sure that it had gone through the image processor. And as I was standing there waiting, there was a, there was a page that was pasted up 
that contain the uh, county court record, which is, you know, speeding tickets, uh, divorces, court cases, things like that. And I hadn't been there in the community that long that I knew a lot of people, but, um, one day I was just going through that that uh, page and just kind of looking at the names and seeing if there was anybody that I knew. Not not for one minute thinking what what I was about to find. And as I get about halfway down the uh, the list, I see this guy's name, and I see that he is uh, charged with first degree sexual assault. And when I saw that, it was like I had an instant flashback. I mean, it was just just almost immediate of of what had happened to me twenty years ago. And, and I just, I just started freaking out and, uh, I found, I f- saw that my page was okay. So I went back to my computer station, turned everything off, told my, told my, uh, uh bosses, I got to go take care of something. I'll be back in a little bit. And I, I took off for the, uh, County courthouse because I had to, I had to read the case. I had to see what, what, what had happened. And when I got, got to the courthouse, I was able to, to get the information and take a look at it. And I found that uh, this guy had, had sexually assaulted a vulnerable adult. Uh, it, was a, it was a young lady. Um, and he, he basically offered her a ride home. And then instead of taking her home, he took her out on the county road and sexually assaulted her. And, you know, as I'm, and I'm reading, reading through this and I'm just, you know, my hands are shaking. Cause I'm just like, this is, this is me all over again. This is 20 years later. And, uh, and I, and I, after I got done with it, I said, I, I have to, I have to help this lady out somehow. I have to do something for her. And I went into the county sheriff, uh, county attorney's office. And I asked uh, to speak to the county attorney, uh, because I, I had some information on a case that I thought might help him out. So the county attorney comes out and, um, introduces himself and, and, you know, as you know, invites me into his office and everything. And, and he knows me because I, because I worked at the newspaper, I'm working at the newspaper. And so, you know, my, my face is in there every once in a while when I write a sports column. And so he, he knows who I am and, you know, we talk a little bit about sports and then he says, well, you must be here for the, for the Bill Dickey case, which is what this guy's name was. And I was like, uh, yeah, how did you know? And he says, well, I, I heard, heard your name when you walked in and I thought, and when you said you had some information, he says, it reminded me of when, when, uh, he assaulted you 20 years ago. And I was on the, uh, I was a part of the, uh, uh, the law enforcement here in Madison County at the time. So I, I remember the case and I was just like, wow, <laughs> I was like, I can't even remember what I had for lunch yesterday. This guy's remembering, you know, uh, something happened to a nine-year-old kid 20 years ago. And so we sat and talked about the, about the situation and everything. And I asked him, I said, well, how, how much time can he, uh, what's the maximum sentence that he can get? And at the time it was five years. I think now it's 25 years, but at the time I think it was five years maximum. And I said, well, how much will he get? Because I know that these deals, these things always get pled down or something. And he said, well, based on what the judge here has done in the past, he'll probably get one, one to two years with credit for time served. So he'll probably, he'll probably end up plan, uh, spending about three months in prison. And I just, I was just like, no, that, that can't, that's, that's not acceptable, you know? And so we talked a little bit more and, and, uh, the attorney, uh, suggested that I write a letter to the judge and explain to him my connection to the case and tell my story, which I'd, and I'd never really told my story, um, outside of, you know, family and close friends before in my life. So I went home that night and I wrote a three page letter to the judge who coincidentally actually actually lives here in Wayne, Nebraska today. He's a retired judge now. Actually lives lives uh, probably about a mile away from me. But uh, I wrote, wrote wrote the letter, explained the situation, sent it off, 
And then we went to his uh, his hearing, his uh, sentencing hearing, because he had, had pled uh, no contest to it. And uh, we we sat there all day waiting for him because because they uh, the they had him listed like about fourth or fifth on the docket that day, but they bounce around the docket because there's you know some some attorneys have other other commitments and can't be there right then, but they can be there later, or they have to be here here because they have a you know another commitment at another time. So, so we're sitting there, we sat there all day waiting for this kid guy to show up. And finally they, they bring in a bunch of prisoners from the County jail in their orange jumpsuits. And he's one of them. And I knew, I recognized him immediately. I mean, aside from the long hair and the glasses, he, he, he looked exactly as he did had 20 years earlier. And he, he, if he saw me, he didn't recognize me or didn't acknowledge me, but uh, I, I, you know, I saw him immediately. And so, um, and I pointed him out to my mom and dad and, and we sat there and waited for him to come up. And when he finally came up, he, uh, went before the judge, you know, and entered his plea judge was reading through some stuff on, on that specific case and, and, uh, um, asked some questions and then he stopped and he, he put those papers down and pulled some other, other papers over and started reading those. And he mentioned something about that. He had sexually assaulted a young boy when he was a juvenile. And he, he asked the guy, he says, have you, do you ever um, know what ever happened to this kid? And before he could answer, the county attorney said, that young man's here in the courtroom this afternoon. And you could just see his shoulders drop. Like he knew, he knew that the hammer was about to fall. And the judge um, kind of, kind of looked it over a little more and then, and basically told him that it was clear that after all this time uh, that he has, has not learned his lesson as far as, you know, uh, abiding by the law and not hurting anybody. And, and it's clear that you have a long, long history of this. And he did have a long history of cases in, in the county court system already. He ended up getting the maximum of five years in prison. And when we got that sentence, we, we all, when we saw that sentence or we heard it, my dad, my mom and I all looked at each other like we just won the lottery. Like, did we just hear that? Is that really, we got, we got five years and we were, we were so excited. And then uh, the county attorney called for a recess and he came over and, and asked us to follow him back to his office. And when we went back to his office, he shook our hands and he said, thank you for doing that. He says, we have, we have had this, this guy in our court system for a long, long time. And it's good to finally get him out for, it's only five years. He'll probably, he'll probably end up spending two years with, with a good time. But he says, at least we got him out of, out of our hair for, for the, you know, the time being. And, and, you know, I've never seen a judge do that before with, with a case like this. He's always, you know, he's always aired on the side of the minimum over the maximum. And, and this time he, he went, you know, he gave him the full, the full five years. He ended up serving, I think about two years in prison and he's on the, uh, the uh, state's uh, sex offender registry for life. So, you know, it took me 20 years to get justice and I had to get it through somebody else, but I got it. That's awesome, Mike, that you even had the fortitude to, and the strength to, to go through with that because a lot of people won't be able to even look back at their, at the, the person that have done such a crime, uh, face once again. And so for you to have, um, the strength to, to be there, um, I knew that meant a lot to the other family that was going through this event as well. And so it's, it's amazing to know that, that your heart, um, was still turning to make sure that justice was served not only for you, but for everyone else that was involved in this. Because one thing that's not talked about a lot is that even though it happens to one person, 
um, other people are affected by this, like your parents, um, those that was in the community that loved you. Um, there's, I mean, there's a ton of people that, that are affected by this as well. And it does damage to them as as much as it do damage to you. And one thing that I really, uh, was, was surprised by when I read in your book and you talked about how, the church community where this young man attended church when with his family, they rallied behind him because he went to church on a regular basis. And they were saying that he was innocent and it was you that was the problem. And so I wanted to ask, did this incident um, at the church and seeing how believers of God rallied behind this young man, did that alter uh, your belief in God? Well, it that particular incident didn't. Um, years later, we had we had some uh, we were having some tough times in our family where my, my parents were really struggling in their marriage and our and our uh, and I felt our church didn't uh, didn't uh, stand behind us or didn't really help us in that 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 really impacted my. I guess I've always had, uh, always believed in God. I've always had faith that there was a God out there, but but for a long time I wasn't sure that that God was paying attention. You know uh, that that you know maybe he was he was letting some some slide and some some were you know were dealt with and you know I just it it, it the incident that incident itself brought us together for a number of years um, and and there was other things that that really kind of led to to my my parents getting divorced and and, and uh, that sort of thing but I've always had a had a had a faith in God but it really it really was being tested. And I guess I didn't really realize it until probably about, uh, probably about five or six years ago. And, uh, and then I, I had been attending church on an on off basis and, and I, uh, uh, recommitted myself here probably about five or six years ago and, and have been more, more, uh, into, into turning to my faith during, during tough times than, than I had before. Right, right. And, and so I, I wanted to, uh, to to ask you this as well, because you are a father and you're a grandfather now. And I wanted to ask you, because a lot of women have dealt with this, and a lot of women feel alone, they feel ashamed, they feel um, the, the fear, the anxiety. Um, it's, it's real for them at this moment in life. And so I want to ask you, um, to a young lady out there that's dealing with the hardship of such a tragic event that has happened, and I want you to share with the audience what it was that you told your daughter, not only about your, your story, but how to stay clear and, and protect herself from such people. Well, it was, it was funny for a lot of years. I, I had, uh, I was, uh, you know, I had a lot of rage and a lot of, a lot of pent up rage in my, in my, in my heart because of what had happened. And I'd always had always stated that, um, if something ever like this had ever happened to my child, that you know the, the authorities better get there first because if I get there first, I'm judge, jury, and executioner. And uh, you know, I, I didn't hear, hear that comment that my grandpa grandfather made to, to my dad about you know about uh, doing your son no good in prison um, until uh, until I was uh, writing the book. So and then when my dad told me that, I, I I said, Dad, I wish I really wish you would have had said something to me about that. At, at some point, because I, I went through all, all of this time and I'm not blaming my dad, but I went through all this time thinking that, that the, the, uh, the justice system, I, I felt failed me 
because the, because he got six months of, pro, of supervised probation probation for what he did to me. And so I, I just kind of had this this mentality that that if something like that ever happened to my child, I'm, I'm not waiting for the authorities. I'm taking care of it myself. And and while, you know, that's, you know, kind of a natural re, uh, reaction to it, um, you know, obviously it's not that's not a, the, the, the ultimate way to go. And, uh, so I, I've, I've talked, talked to my daughter quite a bit about, um, about my experience. And, and, uh, um, I've told her that, that if some, if somebody is treating you in a manner, you don't want to be treated, get out of that relationship because there's, you're not going to change the person. You're, you're only going to get, you know, you're only going to, to, uh, experience more pain and more frustration. If you, if you are in, involved with somebody who is, who is, uh, um, assaulting you and it doesn't even have to be sexual assault. It can be a me- emotional assault, mental assault, verbal assault. Um, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're being made to feel like a second class citizen, you don't need that in your life. And uh, she, she had actually told me this story, um, after, um, she had gotten married we were, and we were talking about, about the situation. And she says, well, dad, I want to, I want to tell you something. And I said, and I, and I should have told you, but I, I knew at the time knowing, knowing what I know now, if I had done it at the time, you'd be in prison. I was like, Oh, and she, she had told me that, that her ex-boyfriend had emotionally assaulted her, had you know been, been verbally abusive and all this stuff. She's, she says, I thought about telling you at the time, she says, but I knew that I knew that if I did, you'd kill him. And, and then I'd, I'd be visiting you in prison. And I said, well, I'm, I, I, I guess I'm glad that now that you, that you did that. But at the time, you know, I, I really wish she would have told me cause I, I don't, I don't know that I would have actually acted on it, but I, I would have made it very clear that that, that, uh, was not going to continue. And, uh, and I was just, uh, uh, I guess blessed that, that things happened the way they did there. But, um, the, the bottom line is if, if, if somebody's making you feel bad in a relationship, you don't need to be there. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're letting them live rent free in your head at that point. And if they, if they are, are being abusive to you in any way, get out of the relationship and don't, don't look back and don't think, well, maybe I could do something different. There's nothing different that you can do. If somebody is being abusive to you, they're going to be abusive to you. And, and it's never, it's never going to change. Um, you know, it's, it, you just, you just need to walk away from it and, and, um, you know, be with people that, that you, that care about you and love you and want and have your best interests in, in the front of their mind. Right. And, and, and I know as a father now to to a one year old, almost one year old daughter, um, it's, it's one of the things that I've thought about myself. Um, just knowing how how prevalent uh, sexual assault is um, on people. And so I sat down and I said to myself, um, what would the conversation look like um, from me talking to my daughter and and how to engage in that conversation? And, and I've even shared um, some things with my wife, because as I read your book, um, it even opened me up to start remembering back when I was a kid because I was exposed to sex at an early age. I was four years old when I was exposed to sex. And I remember that encounter and thinking back and it wasn't um, an encounter that I asked for. Um, it was actually an older girl. And so I never thought about myself being sexually assaulted. Um, I thought as a young man, it was cool because I was, I was young and I can say I did something that a lot of my friends couldn't do. And I didn't even know I was getting taken advantage of because of my mindset. Um, as I grew older and understanding what happened, 
um, in that in that event. And so I knew that, that was very traumatizing as I started to realize the the details of of that encounter. Um, and, and one thing that inspired me to even um, be connected with such a story was my pastor. He shared um, his story of sexual assault when he was a teenager. And, and I remember that first day that I walked in his church and he shared that story and it gripped my heart. Um, but it also put me in position that I wanted to serve the world in a way that I can help people to think differently. And so that's what the Gaining Control podcast is all about, is helping people to think differently. And if we can gain control of our thoughts, we can gain control of our lives. We can gain control of so many things that take place in this world. And if everybody was to gain control of their thoughts, this place can be um even more amazing than what it is already, despite the pain that we have on earth. And so, Mike, I wanted to uh, also make sure that we got this in because I know this is very important. And I wanted you to talk about Aaron'sLaw.org and working with the senator to adopt Aaron's Law in Nebraska. Well, Aaron's Law is, uh, is something that when I started uh, uh, researching to uh, to speak publicly on on the on the topic because I wanted to talk about more than just my personal experience. I wanted to provide you know, resources and and other things for people to who who have been through this uh, experience to to look toward. And I found Aaron's Law uh, literally on a Google search. Um, I, and as I read through it, I, uh, I I realized wow, this is something something needs to be happening. You know throughout the United States and Aaron, uh, Aaron's law is, is a, um, a law that was, um, created by a young lady in Illinois. Her name is Aaron Marin. And she was sexually assaulted, uh, when she was a child, she was sexually assaulted by the uncle of a, uh, of a classmate on her first sleepover. First time she ever been gone to a sleepover when she was like six years old and she was sexually assaulted by, by this, uh, uncle of a classmate. And then several years later, she was sexually assaulted by a cousin. And when the when the family confronted uh, the cousin's family, um, it, it basically tore the entire family apart. And and she went through through a lot of, of rough times in in uh, dealing with this. Uh, she was told told by the school that she she would never she should never go to college because she's not smart enough to get through college, and uh, she you know so never really amount to much anything. And, um, she has a master's degree now from, uh, um, I think I want to say it's Eastern Illinois, but I can't remember for sure, but she has a master's degree and she has been, been out, uh, trying to get this law passed in all 50 States. What the law requires is it requires schools in, in that state to teach age appropriate information about what sexual assault is or what sexual abuse is. Um, and, and, you know, what, what to, you know, what to do to protect yourself, uh, if you are assaulted, who to talk to, how, how to tell them, you know, what to tell them. It's, it, you know, because it's something that, that kids really have a hard time um, communicating. You know, um, you know, they don't, uh, they don't know who to talk to. Uh, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to describe it, you know, uh, but, but you can, but you can teach kids to do this sort of thing. We could teach kids what to do in the, in the event of a fire or in the event of a tornado or in the event of, uh, of, of any other cat, you know, cataclysmic event that, uh, we can, you know, we can teach these kids to do that. So she started out in her home state, Illinois, um, found, found a Senator who, who, uh, you know, thought enough of the cause to, to, uh, um, take it on as, as his personal or as, as his, uh, you know, main bill and got it passed. And then she is, she's since then been working across the country. She has 35 states 
that that have uh, passed this law in I think ten years. I think she started in two thousand eleven, and uh, uh, she's got thirty five states that have passed it. Nebraska is one of of uh, the fifteen that that have not passed it. Uh, when I wrote after I wrote this book and after I got got to know got to talk to Aaron a little bit and know a little more about the law, I tried to get it passed in the Nebraska legislature. Unfortunately, my state senator was not a let's just say he wasn't in tune to to uh, uh, things like this as some people are. And so he he issued a bill, but but never really supported it or got behind it. And and eventually it just never it never saw the light of day. Well, when we got a new state senator here four years ago, um, I talked with her about it and she was she was very, um, you know, very interested in it. Um, you know, she's a grandmother herself. So she has she has young children in, in her life as well that she she worries about. And um, and so uh, this past year or so, we have been doing I, I've been helping them out, getting a lot of research done to uh, to get this done. And we're going to introduce it in the Nebraska legislature in 2021. Um, but, uh, the, my hope is, is that we can get it through the legislature and, and get it passed in 2021 and get, and get it to, uh, um, get it to the governor to sign. And I think once we do that, the, there's going to be a, a great, it'll be a great relief for me to know, know that, that, that education is out there. Um, we need, just need to make sure that it's properly, uh, utilized and properly funded by the state. And, uh, and, and I think we'll, we'll be able to get all that done and, and get that, get that going here. And I, and I, I know that it's going to make a huge impact on, on the state. You know, I, I, uh, part of my speech that I, I give, I, you know, Oklahoma and Nebraska are very similar in that, that we love our football. Right. So, um, I, I use football as an, as, uh, as something to drive a point home. Uh, the centers for disease control did a study a number of years back that determined that one in four girls and one in six boys are sexually assaulted before their 18th birthday. And so I took those ratios and applied it to the K-12 enrollment in the entire state of Nebraska. And the number that I got uh, this, this past year was, was something, I, uh, the exact number I can't remember, but it was, I know it was over 87,000. And if you think that Memorial Stadium at, in, in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, where the University of Nebraska plays, the capacity there is 90,000. So if you can imagine taking every child who has been sexually assaulted based on, on those numbers you can practically fill up Memorial Stadium with it, and these are just the reported cases. There, there's uh, some studies that that, uh, and it depends on which study you're looking at. It's but it's anywhere from two to four uh, out of every ten unreported cases in the in the state. So there, there's another, you know, fifty, sixty thousand kids potentially that that are uh, that are being sexually assaulted that we don't know of. So you're now you're now you're talking about you know. Memorial Stadium Plus. You're, you're, you know, you got standing room only, and and uh, and you know, it's just it's when you when you put it in that in those terms, I think a lot of people take a look at that and go, because you know, a lot of people who, who I talk to have been to a Husker game, so they know what it's like to sit in sit in a throng of ninety thousand people, and they and and it really just kind of kind of hits them between the eyes, like, wow, that's a lot of kids that are that are being sexually assaulted, and it's like, yeah, it's it's a it's a problem, it's a big problem. And I, and every time I go to speak, I get, I get kids who come up to me afterward that, you know, thank me for t- talking about it. And, and, and some of them will say, say, my dad's doing this to me or, or this happened to me. And, 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 uh, you know, I, I tell those kids to, to make sure you, that you contact somebody and talk to them about it. And, and, you know, you, you gotta, you've got to 
you know, do this for yourself, not only for yourself, but for anybody else that this person may be attacking. Because uh, when it comes to sexual assault, it's, it's like a potato chip. You can't eat just one. And, and there are, there are people who are, uh, are sexual assault uh, criminals that, 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 they they're in jail for one, but there's plenty more that that they are involved with that that uh, the, that the law enforcement probably doesn't know about. Right, and and, and I, I know for sure that there's a ton of cases because people are just in fear, and so people don't um, want to to tell a story. They want to keep it to themselves because they want to keep not only the spotlight away from them, but they would rather deal with it on their own on their own versus bringing other people um, into that, that situation. And I wanted to say to those people, if you are afraid or you're in fear or um, you're in danger of your life and you don't have nobody to talk to, um, you can share your story with me at gaining control podcast um, at gmail.com. And you also can call the national sexual assault hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE. Again, 1-800-656-HOPE. And the numbers for HOPE is 4673. So that number will read 1-800-656-4673. And so, Mike, I wanted you to share um, as well before we close out, um, how can listeners of the Gaining Control podcast connect with you um, to not only have a conversation with you about your story, um, but to also uh, purchase your book and, and, and read your story for themselves and also have the opportunity to speak to you and maybe dialogue about um, what sexual assault um, awareness has meant to them and, and how they're um, proactive in the same community as you to try to get some help for those that don't have help. Well, one, one thing I did want to mention before I get to that is um, you, you'd mentioned that uh, uh, about people who are, are being sexually assaulted. The thing that the thing that uh, people who who do these things to people, they they count on fear and intimidation. They count. They, they will tell you that nobody will believe you, that if you tell anybody I'm going to do this to you or this might happen to your family member or uh, that they make some kind of a, of, of a threat. And the, and the thing you have to do is to call their bluff because they won't generally uh follow through on on those on those threats and if you if you speak to somebody and speak to the authorities and and uh, put put them in a position where they can they can arrest this individual and put them in jail and get them behind bars for a long time do it because you're 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 gonna you're gonna not only help yourself but you're gonna help others as well because the like i said there it's it's not one that they're involved in but there there are plenty others as far as as far as getting in touch with me um my book is available on uh, Amazon.com. Uh, I've uh, published it through the Amazon.com book service, and uh, so so uh, it is available through that uh, through the Amazon.com website. And uh, as far as getting in touch with me, you can get in touch with me uh, through email. My email address is Mike at MikeyCProductions.com, and that's M-I-K-E-Y-C, and then the word Productions.com, and uh, just just put in the subject line. Um, something about uh, sexual you know sexual assault awareness uh or 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 you know if you want to tell your story uh to me or 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 you know want to communicate with me through that um you can you can send through email there um i'm putting together a a, a speaking program that uh when this uh, virus thing uh is is over and done with and, and we can get back to normal activities i'm going to try to start uh, going out and, and speaking publicly again about, uh, about my experience. I actually have an assistant that works with me in, in, 
she uh, has been through a, a similar experience in her life. She was a, she's a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault. And, uh, um, and, and, you know, you, we talked earlier about, you know, where would I, where would we be if, if, if I hadn't, uh, you know, if I had committed suicide, um, she, she came up to me one day just out of the blue and said that she had read, uh, she had read my book and she had, um, had talked to people who, who knew about me and everything and, and introduced herself and, and, uh, found out that she was a photographer and, uh, and she's a, she's a outstanding photographer. I, I'm, uh, uh, first time I, I, I put her to work on something. She, she put out stuff that I, I just couldn't believe was a, was something that a college student could do. I thought that was something more of a, a young professional level. And she was, she was well past that already. So, so I'm, you know, God has given me so much, uh, in, in the time since, since I stood at that bank of the river that, uh, you know, I, I just, it blows my mind, uh, to, to sit, you know, to sit back and think about it, uh, about how everything that has happened since then. And, and I just, I just hope that I can help people out who have been through this experience and, and help them realize that they're, that, uh, they're, you know, no matter what happened to them, they're still good people. They're still, they're still one of God's children. They're still worthy of so, so much, uh, goodness in their lives. And they only need to, you know, they only need to believe in themselves, believe in God, believe in, in yourself and, and don't let anybody tell you that you're anything less than, than what you are. Because, uh, you know, the, the, sometimes the biggest hurdle to clear is the one that's in between your ears. And, and, uh, the, the mind can, can make you do so many, so many great things and so many bad things. It's all, just, it's all in how you use it. And, um, so I, I just hope, uh, I, if people can want to get in touch with me and talk with me more, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to them about it. And, uh, and like I said, my book's available online on amazon.com. It's called me called, call me a survivor. Thank you, Mike. And, um, it's, it's a great book. Um, I've sat down, I've read it. Um, and when I read the book, um, when I first got it, um, it, it was it it was not only a profound message, um, but Mike left um, me with the hope that our world would become better um, because we have people not only like Mike, but we have people like his assistant and 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 Aaron, who's uh, who's fighting this cause um, to help not only get help, but they're fighting to get awareness out here in our in our community so that people can feel safe people can feel loved and people can live their life um, without fear that someone is going to attack them. So please, if you have an opportunity, please go on Amazon and get Mike's book, Call Me a Survivor. Also, please connect with Mike through his email. Um, he's a great conversationalist. You will enjoy um, connecting with him. Um, I've enjoyed connecting with him since um, 2011. I met him as an intern and every year um, since then, it has been uh, very insightful. Um, and I still have the opportunity to talk to Mike today. And I'm telling you, um, this is a great man. Um, he's a community leader. Um, he's a he's a self um, motivator, but he's also a motivator for so many people. If you come in contact with him, he always has something positive for you. So I'm grateful um, to not only have you on the Gaining Control podcast, Mike, but I'm grateful to have you in my life as a mentor, um, as a leader, um, as a teacher. Um, I mean, I can I have a hundred titles I can actually refer to you um, that that you have been an inspiration to me. And and if it wasn't for you. Um, I would not have the opportunity to even be where I'm at when it comes down to a podcast because I've learned so much about communication from you. So I just want to say thank you once again for not only being open about your story, but um, being a guest on the Gain of Control podcast and 
also to continue to fight um, this cause, continue to bring awareness um, for other people because you're paving a way for a lot of people um, to get over their fear and to step into um, their life with a new sense of purpose. And so, uh, if if you haven't um, if you haven't came forward yet with your story, please do. Um, I'm going to share the information in the podcast notes um, about the sexual assault hotline. And I'm also going to share Mike's information in the podcast notes as well, in case you didn't catch it while we was talking. And so, Mike, thank you once again. Um, if there's anything that you want to say before we close out, please do. Well, one thing I did want to mention, and I know you mentioned the national hotline. There, there is a there. There are plenty of uh, local uh, support groups, uh, domestic violence support groups that that are in your community that that uh, can can help you on uh, more immediately with if like if you need to uh, uh, if you need to find shelter. Uh, temporary shelter to get away from your situation uh, or if you need help with filing a protection order or, or, or some other thing relating to what you're going through. There are plenty of, there are a bunch of them. I, I know here in Nebraska, we have 23 uh, different uh, places in the state that, uh, that offer this assistance. And, and, and I'm sure that there's, there's stuff available uh, wherever you might be, wherever you're listening to this podcast from. So don't, don't be afraid to, to seek out that, that information locally as well. And, uh, um, and, and make sure that you uh, uh, take advantage of that as well. And, and Travis, uh, I, I, on a personal note, I, again, I want to want to uh, congratulate you for what you're doing here. This is this is so awesome uh, what you're what you're attempting to accomplish here with this podcast. And and uh, I, I'm I, I I'm trying to trying to figure out a word beyond proud to, to describe my how I feel for for you and what you've uh, what you're accomplishing with this. But uh, you're you're doing a fantastic job with this, and I, I hope you hope you keep it up, and I hope that. Uh, uh, that that uh, the listenership expands and continues to grow, and you continue to to do what you're doing for people because it's uh, it's it takes it takes special people to do this kind of work, and and you're you're definitely one of them. So I uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk here on the program today. Thank you as well, Mike, and for all my listeners. As I end every episode understand and i truly mean this when i say this this is your season to gain control of your life so you can live your best life To receive updates and additional content from the Gaining Control Podcast, connect with us at gainingcontrolpodcast at gmail.com and connect with me personally at Travis K. Corley on all social media sites. Lastly, we want to hear from you. Share with us your personal story. Please email us at gainingcontrolstories at gmail.com.